Let's go to God in prayer before we open up our time together. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the privilege of being called your people and gathering together um, on this day, the first day of the week, that as we branch out from here, we begin this day on this footing, being present together in worship as we edify one another, as we bring you praise and glory, as we gather around your table and remember the sacrifice of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ in whom we believe and in whom we hold all hope, who brings us peace, but who also calls us to a life that is very different from the way this world would ask us to live. And I pray for courage for for all of those who call themselves Christians. I pray for courage and for boldness as we leave from this place, that we would follow where your Spirit leads, that we would have the courage to lead the kind of lives that you have called us to lead, and we would have the boldness to proclaim your Son to those we come into contact with. We thank you for Jesus, for his sacrifice, for the unity we have in his blood, and for the peace and the hope that we live with because of his sacrifice. And it is in his name we pray these things. Amen. Uh, So today is the second of our series called I Believe. Last week we looked at what it means when we say I believe in God. And and this morning we're going to look at what it means when we say I believe in Jesus Christ. The different things that we profess when we call on our belief in Jesus. Um, And these are some very basic things about Christianity. I mean sometimes I think we have taken the basic things uh, for granted. Uh, We assume some things. Uh, we assume that people know some things when we begin talking about church and Christianity and those kinds of, uh, of topics. Um, there are uh, several people at times that you know, will come in here and uh, maybe I don't recognize them or know them. And you know, as you kind of get to talking with them, sometimes I have to call myself back to ask this question. Um, and it's a question is simple, but were you, are you familiar with the church? Because for people who aren't familiar with the church, then what we just finished doing a moment ago around this table may seem pretty foreign. Um, You know, a little piece of a cracker that we would normally take a handful of, and a little sip of juice that's just enough to make me thirsty, um, may seem a little counterintuitive to someone who has no idea what's going on. And so there are some things that I think we take for granted in our daily practice or in our weekly practice. That maybe some of those who don't have the same kind of experience with the church might not know that we assume. Um, I've caught myself several times in classes uh, that I've been teaching in other places, you know, making a statement like, well, you all know the story of Jonah, or you all know the story of Elisha. Uh, I had a a student in one of my classes when I, we were talking about Jonah, and I said, well, you know the story of Jonah, so I won't tell you the whole story. And she said, I've never heard the story of Jonah. And I said, oh, are you in for a treat? And my class completely changed for that day uh, because there was someone in that class who was 18 years old and had never heard the story of Jonah. You know, so we have to be careful on what we assume people know. In the same way, we have to be careful of what we assume that we know. 
that there are some concepts, there are some ideas, there are some things that stand behind these things that we profess and confess every day that maybe we've never really thought about. And I hope and pray that there will come a day where you are called to account for those things. When someone says, what do you mean when you say you're a Christian? Because we talked in our, in our uh, college young professionals class this morning, it is astounding the percentage of people in the United States of America that profess to be Christian. You ask them, what are your religious beliefs? And they'll say, I'm Christian. And many of them, if you see their daily lives, you say, okay, I know, <laughs> I know you claim to be Christian, but I also know that the life that you are living does not jive with what I know to be Christian. And so I hope and pray that there will be a day where someone who you are speaking with will say, you know, you say you're a Christian, but I just want to know, what does it mean to be a Christian? Because I see Christians doing all kinds of things all day, and I don't know what that means. What do you believe? been stumped by that question before. I've been in that place where I didn't have, well, I had an answer, and the answer was, oh, there's not enough time to really talk about that right now. Because I didn't know how to really formulate a, a good way of saying, well, this is what I believe. I know the core, but I mean, t- for me to describe to you the core is going to take hours and hours and hours of conversation that we just don't have right now. And if we really understand what it means when we say, I believe in God, and I believe in Jesus, I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of a Savior, I believe that He's coming back, I believe in the church, and the way God works in the world through her. How do we summarize those things in a way that is efficient and effective And that opens the door for so much more of those conversations. Because I promise you, if I say, well, I can't really put it into concise words for you right now. Let's get together and talk about it. You're probably never going to have that conversation. But if you can whet their appetite with something of what it is that we believe and what that means and how that impacts us. It leaves them thirsty for more. Frequently in the same way we walk around, walk away from the table of the Lord hungry and thirsty for more. And so this morning we're going to look at Jesus. And Jesus was not just a wise teacher, but that he was God in the flesh. And to believe in Jesus as God in the flesh requires a different level of sacrifice than we are accustomed or comfortable with really confronting at times. Uh, There's a book by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity, and, and there are some powerful, powerful statements that he makes in there. There's this one section where he's speaking about this very thing, about what it means to follow Jesus and, and and here's the thing, acknowledging that Jesus was a person, that he was real, that he historically existed on this earth, is not the basis of Christianity. That when we say, I believe in Jesus, we don't say that in the same way that we would say, I believe in Mars. I've never seen Mars, but I believe that Mars exists. And you may say you don't believe in something, but it doesn't change the truth. 
or the proof that there is something there. And, and so we know that Jesus existed, but his, the fact that he existed, his historical presence, is not the basis for our Christianity. There are many people who deny the deity of Christ that will tell you with, with certainty that he was here. There are too many books written. There are too many things recorded. There are too many references to him throughout the history of recorded history. To deny that Jesus existed. The real issue is what we believe about him. And it is a prominent and, and popular thing for many people today to say the foolish thing. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher. But I cannot accept his claim to be God. Because it is not possible for someone to be 100% of two things. And when you say something like Jesus was 100% God and 100% man, I can't, I can't do that. My mind will not allow me to go to that place. And so I can see his teaching. I can see the impact that he had. I can see these things and say, yes, he was a great prophet, a great teacher, a great man. But he could not have been God because he was physical. He was here because he was a great man. But here's the thing. A man who was simply or merely a man and said the kinds of things Jesus said, would not be considered a great moral teacher. C.S. Lewis writes it this way, he would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us, nor did he intend to. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord. And that is the choice that we have to make when it comes to Jesus. That there is no middle ground. It is the one thing in life where you must make a choice. You can't take a pass. That even taking a pass on Jesus is making a choice. When we go to dinner and they say, would you like to eat? I can say, pass. I can, I can stay in the middle road. I don't know what I want, so I'm just not going to eat anything. But with Jesus, it's you're either with me or you're against me. And if you refuse to make a decision about me, then you've made your choice. It's a fork in the road that we must take. And so for those of us who make this claim, I believe in Jesus Christ... What are the truths that we are embracing about Jesus when we say this? I believe in Jesus Christ. And the word believe, and we're going to use it throughout this series. And I don't want to over, underplay the, the power that lies behind belief. Because like many words in the English language, it's something that, that has grown far, not, not too common, but very common. 
in our vernacular. Kind of like the word love. I mean, we use the word love for everything. In Spanish, they have two different kinds of word. They have quiero and amor. Amor is something that I would say to my wife. Um, I'm not going to come to you and say, hermano, te amo. Because if I say that to a Spanish man, he's going to look at me funny. Because you don't say those kind of things to friends. You say te quiero to friends. And you'll never hear them say anything about loving green beans or a football team. They understand the difference in their language between like and love. And, and, and in our culture, love has just become a word that we've used frequently to say I love something. And it's just a way of strengthening something else. Belief is a lot the same way. A lot of people believe in conspiracy theories. I find them intriguing. Some of them more believable than others. Some of them are way out there, but there are some that hold a belief in that. I remember believing some of the wild tales of my Dandy Don. You know, he had a friend, and this is true, and I know it's true because it came from Dandy. Um, he had a friend who would look at you and wink, and he could make his ear do this. Whoop, whoop. He could wiggle his ear just like that. I didn't know you had muscles in your ear that would make it fold over. But Dandy's friend did. You know, I believed until I was almost 12 years old that if you could lose a tooth and not put your tongue in the hole, that it would grow back gold. Because every time I lost a tooth, Danny would say, don't put your tongue in it, it'll grow back gold. I never could find out because I couldn't keep my tongue out of that hole. But we believe some things. And, you know, the sports realm right now is really popular to hold up the signs that say, we believe. <laughs> Look, I can believe all we want, but that doesn't change the physical capability of the people that are on the field or the court. So it's a word that we see frequently. And maybe we don't um, understand what it is that we say when we say, I believe in something like this. I believe in Jesus Christ, the unique Son of God. In John 3.16, if you uh, have a different way than any of us are sons of God, if you go back to John chapter 1 and you look at John's prologue, it describes this uniqueness pretty well. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in Him, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, yet the darkness has not overcome it. And so we see the groundwork laid for Jesus being present in the very beginning. The Word of God present from the beginning as a part of the creative work of the Almighty God. He talks about John sent from God to testify about Jesus. In verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was created through him, the world did not recognize him. And he came to his own, and his, his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive them, he gave the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but born of God, and the Word became flesh. 
and took up residence among us, and we observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus born, Jesus becoming flesh in a very different sense, a Son of God in a very different sense, but in a very real sense. The unique Son of God. And the primary point of demarcation of this sonship is His conception. You see, when we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, we not only believe that He is the unique Son of God, but we believe and we confess that He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. It is this conception by the Holy Spirit that allows us to make this giant leap of faith to the God-man. Right? There is a reason that you cannot be God and man at the same time because you are conceived by the flesh. But Jesus Christ, conceived in Mary by the Holy Spirit of God, produced something, this uniqueness in Him, that allowed Him to be at the same time divine and human. There are so many important doctrinal aspects of this holy conception. Look at Luke chapter 1 and verse 35. Um, Let's actually go back and start in verse uh, 26 and we'll come up there. But There's a lot of verses in Luke chapter 1. Here's chapter 1 verse 26. In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. Her name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And the angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. And he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary asked the angel, how can this be, since I have not been intimate with a man? And the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the Holy One to be born will be called Son of God. Verse 38, I am the Lord's slave, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel left. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. There's at least three areas where this understanding is so, so important. It shows that salvation ultimately came from the Lord. Right, at the very basic, fundamental area that Jesus comes, He lives, and He brings salvation. But that salvation doesn't come from man or anything from man, but it comes from God. That this holy birth of Christ is an unmistakable reminder that salvation can never come through our effort, through our action, but it is the work of God Himself. But also it is this, uh, this moment in time that makes possible the uniting of full deity and full humanity in the same person. That God 
in His wisdom, ordained this combination of human and divine. Of this combination of influence in the birth of Christ, so that His humanity would be evidenced to us from the fact that He is ordinary human birth from a human mother. But at the same time, His full deity would be evident from the fact that His conception of Mary's womb in Mary's womb by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. And so we see those two working in tandem, and we will see those two being played out throughout His life and as His ministry unfolds, and ultimately in His resurrection and His ascension as He ascends and says, You will come and you will be like Me. That Jesus, the firstborn among the resurrection from the dead, would give up His place, His position, His being, To take on flesh. And really he would give up that glory for eternity so that you and I might live in his shadow. Walk in his footsteps and dwell with him in the same way. Powerful thing, a powerful sacrifice that he made in that. And it is this moment that makes it possible to understand But this act also makes possible Christ's true humanity without even the possibility of thinking of inherited sin. Conceived miraculously by the Holy Spirit takes all of those things out of the picture. Luke 1.35 connects this conception by the Holy Spirit with the holiness or moral purity of Christ. And a reflection of that fact allows us to understand that through the absence of a human father, Jesus was not fully descended from Adam. And that this break from that line of descent was a a method that God used to illustrate and to demonstrate and to bring about that Jesus was fully human, yet He did not share all of the brokenness, all of the darkness, all of the sin that we see transpiring over and over and over again since the dawn of creation. That there is a break there. He is separated from that. Jesus Christ, the one, holy, unique Son of God conceived by the Holy Spirit, who is our Lord. Jesus is Lord. Confessing Jesus is Lord is quite a significant distinction of the Christian faith. And as the popularity of Christian has risen and fallen, all kinds of things have taken place. A lot of the time recently, um, we have come very casual about the way we approach the name of Jesus, the name of God, and even the way that we confess and profess our faith. Uh, I think it was Madonna I saw wearing a t-shirt that said, Jesus is my homeboy. You have memes and all kinds of things that portray Jesus in a different light, maybe with a good-hearted nature, maybe not. 
but we've lost frequently the means to revere and to fear. Now, maybe we have come so content and complacent and comfortable in our relationship that we have forgotten what it is to be in awe. To fear the Lord. And uh, something I was reading in the, was it Numbers? I think we're in Leviticus, another guy I'm reading with, we're in Numbers. And Moses has just brought the law to the people. And God says to Moses, I have heard the cries of the people. I have heard what the people said to you. I have heard their voice. If only they had such a heart to fear me. How frequently do we just become so comfortable in our relationship that we forget that? It happens in our earthly relationships. It happens in friendships. It happens in our marriages. May we never be so comfortable that we forget what it is to fear the Lord and to understand that Jesus is Lord. That He is He's. He's here, He is accessible, He is relational, He is our go-between, but He is still my Lord. He deserves my reverence, He deserves my respect, not just because He has earned it, because He's the Son of God. And it is not because of what He has done that I owe Him that, but because of who He is, because of His place that He has taken. And it is this lordship that is what is supposed to set Christ followers apart from people that are just following along with a trend. Jesus is Lord. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. For this reason God highly exalted Him, that is Jesus, and gave Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven, of those who are on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Can you see the picture that is painted here. I've seen it in movies. I've seen it in TV shows. I've told you that I have a little... It's one of the things that I like. I like those old those TV shows and movies that are set in old times. And, and when, when a king is revealed, when a queen is revealed, when someone of royalty is revealed, there is an immediate place where everyone in the room just comes and bows and takes a knee. When a young child is presented for the first time as an heir to the throne... Grown men and women will kneel at the feet of a four-year-old that is shown to be the line of succession. For this reason God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that the name, at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The question is, At that time, will it be too late? 
Will it be too late for that confession to have any power to change what happens for eternity? Essentially what this is saying here is that there will come a time where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5, For we are not proclaiming ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves because of Jesus. That belief in Jesus requires a different level of sacrifice. He calls us to be different. He calls us to be holy. He calls us to be His. See, Jesus isn't merely a wise teacher. He is God in the flesh. And believing in Jesus Christ requires radical sacrifice. There is no other way. And so we have a choice to make. There's always a choice to make when it comes to Jesus. Said in the beginning, and we say it freely, there's no middle ground. He said you're going to choose to be for Him, or you're going to choose to be against Him. And maybe you made a choice to be for Jesus a while back. Maybe you found yourself in a place that you don't recognize, and you're not really sure how to get back to the path that is right. We're here for you. And maybe you've never stood before a body of, of believers, your brothers and sisters in Christ, and confessed the truth that Jesus is Lord. Been baptized in His death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to begin your walk with Jesus today or if the church may have assistance to you in another way, you can make it known at this time as we stand.